Okay. <clears throat> Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's going to be this week. It's going to be an interesting one. Most of the countries actually closed down. 93% of California are in counties that are in red, red counties. In other words, those people are, are closed down. Oddly, so most of us are LA County, right? And LA County is one of the bad ones. It turns out that Antelope Valley is relatively okay. So figuring out what you're gonna do is gonna be interesting for your families. <clears throat> Everybody be careful. I read an article this week about Christmas decorating. Um, they were asking a, a psychologist about this, and normally it's a mild social faux pas to put up Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving. Well, this shrink was saying that it's okay this year because of all the extra stress and chaos people are having. Just do whatever you want to do. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. And uh, <clears throat> my goodness, celebrating hope in Jesus, we need more of that anyway. So certainly you have my permission to celebrate Jesus more. We need more of that. Um, let's open with a word of prayer. Almighty God, our Lord and Savior, how great you are, Lord. Heavenly Father, when I read of your greatness and your beauty, I am just overcome. And I know that even the greatest of the things that I can imagine about you fall so far short of what you are truly like. Lord, we are so lost. The world pulls us back, and we are distracted by failure and our own sin. And we forget to look at you. Lord, come down this morning so that we do not fall short. Let us not follow after Ahaz, but let us seek you out. God, give us the wisdom to hear the warnings of Isaiah and to heed what he has to say. Give us discernment, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're still in Isaiah. I love the words of Isaiah. He warns us of the logic of humanity. And Isaiah is the one that keeps pointing us back to Jesus, pointing us back to God. I mentioned an article that I had read, and I ran into another one, a really depressing one. And it really points out the lostness of humanity. In the country of Denmark, last year, there were 19 children that were born with Down syndrome. Only 19 in the entire country for an entire year. And you go, oh, that's really low. Well, Downs is difficult, sometimes incredibly so. At times, the disease causes severe neurological symptoms. In some children, it will cause them to lose enough motor control that they cannot speak, and they have other issues as well. One mother that they interviewed for the article had a young son who was aware of his differences. 
and it caused him to act out against his own limitations. He cannot speak or write, so he has no, it, it's very difficult for him to communicate with other people. And when he becomes frustrated, he fights and he bites others. He has twin sisters older than he is. They're eight and he's six. And the mother fears for everyone's safety in the house because of their son's behavior. And this, of course, will only get worse as he gets older, becomes a teenager. And she's worried about this. And yet she loves him, because how could a mother not love her own child? In Denmark, it turns out there's a national law that every pregnant woman is to be given an amniocentesis test to see if the baby she's carrying has down. If the test comes back positive, 95% of the pregnancies are aborted. 95%. Seven of the children born with Downs last year, the mothers chose not to take the test. They realized that if they had a Downs child, they would love and care for the child anyway. Five of the children that were born with Downs were born after a false, posit a false negative test. In other words, the parents did not expect to have a child with special needs. The conclusion of the article was very interesting. And it's one I'm sure most of you are thinking already. How can you have such a liberal, progressive, egalitarian society that they do not wish to care for those who are disabled? The article talked at length about this and its implications. And this is the logic of humanity. A friend of mine was in my carpool. He had a little sister who had Downs. He was from a very large family. And his sister died young. And I asked him how hard that was growing up. And he was an older brother and trying to take care of his sister and how she died at the age of 17. And he said that she had had a wonderful life that she was always very happy and it was fulfilling and she cheered everyone that came to know her because she was a happy person. Everything has a purpose. Every person has a purpose given to them by God. The logic of humanity. We're going to talk a bit about the logic of humanity today and the dangers of following in the wrong path. Today we're in the last half of Isaiah 8. This passage completes the message from Isaiah to King Ahaz. And this section is the message for Isaiah to fear God, not man. Man is misguided and Isaiah is told to wait upon the Lord. This is a somewhat difficult passage. 
And something to keep in mind, every time Isaiah gives us a really difficult passage, a hard one, one that's difficult to digest, it follows with a very encouraging message. And I'm not going to blow it for you, but Bill is going to do this one. And unfortunately, it's going to be after Advent, but it'll sort of be a continuation. And you'll see. And this is a really great passage that Bill is going to get to do here. And I'm really looking forward to it when we do this. So let's go ahead. We're in Isaiah 8. We're going to be verses 11 all the way through to the end of the chapter. So Isaiah 8, verse 11 and 12. We're going to start right here. Fear God. Wait for the Lord. For the Lord spoke thus to me, with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. Isaiah lived in very chaotic times. Perhaps we have a small taste of what that's like right now. But let's look over to what Ezekiel has to say about difficult times. This is Ezekiel 1, 3, okay? Ezekiel 1, 3. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Chabar Canal. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Notice that Ezekiel experiences the hand of the Lord. And it was the custom of the Jews in exile that they would establish places of worship alongside streams of water, literally living water. This was the custom of the Jews. I'm going to give you another example of this. This is an Old Testament example with Ezekiel. I'm going to give you a New Testament example. This is Paul on his missionary journey to Lystra. Acts 16, 13 to 15. Acts 16, 13 to 15. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the town of Thracia, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So this woman, it's a Saturday morning, and they don't have a synagogue. There's no temple. So she goes to this place where there's moving water nearby, the riverside. And Paul goes there as well. As a seller of purple goods, she would be rather upper-class merchant woman. Because of that, she would be a leader amongst the women and most probably have some influence over other merchants and servants. What we aren't told is how many other people were converted because of what Paul did for this one woman. The word of God. 
pulling people back from the logic of humanity. If you continue on in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 3.14, Ezekiel 3.14. By the way, I see 3.14 and the nerd in me comes out immediately and I think that's pie. <laughs> right? Okay. He's just saying. <laughs> My brother nerd. <laughs> right? Got another one over here too. Ezekiel 3.14. The Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. Ezekiel was a hothead. I love this. This guy, he, he's actually mad because God is making him do something. How, how often do we do that, right? God, this is not what I, where I want to be. This is not what I want to be doing. You're not listening. <laughs> Ezekiel was a bit petulant and carried a bit of a grudge on his sleeve. God needed Ezekiel to pay attention, to carry his message back to the Hebrews in exile. So too, Isaiah is needed to carry a message back to God's people. Let's continue on. So this is back to Isaiah. This is verse 13, chapter 8. Verse 13. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. It is not people that we should fear, right? How, how often, I mean, I, I'm a people pleaser. When I was working, that was a really big deal to me at, at, at work, that I would try very hard not to offend people. And that's actually not a good thing at times. Here we have Isaiah is being told not to do that, to not please people, but to fear God. God is the one who holds the power of eternity in his hand. It is God we should hold in reverence and the deepest of respect. Here's two short passages out of Psalms. I'm going to read both of these. By the way, that when I found this reference to these two verses, there, there's individual verses in there, but you're getting a bigger chunk than that because this is just really good. So Psalm 25, 12 to 15. Psalm 25, 12 to 15. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall be, abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Another passage like it, Psalm 34. Psalm 34, 11 to 14. Psalm 34, 11 to 14. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it.
This is the fear of the Lord. We continue on, verses 14 and 15. And this one actually speaks about Jesus, verses 14 and 15. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Here we have another prophecy of Jesus, clearly. It is Jesus that will be the sanctuary, that he is the place of refuge, and also a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. That indicates that both Judah and Israel, Samaria, will miss the meaning of Jesus' coming. Many of them will miss this. How often do we read in the New Testament, woe to you Pharisees and scribes. Jesus says this over and over and over again because they do not realize who he is and why he came. And now a message for Isaiah, verse 16. This is good. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. They are being told to go to the synagogue and to take the scroll and protect them. Isaiah and his disciples are told to protect the testimony. This is most probably referring to the Pentateuch, or to Isaiah, or possibly even both. When I hear this, I think of the Dead Sea Scrolls. I think of how that community decided to protect their scrolls, and then because of the chaos that was going on with the Romans at that time, they never came back to recover them. And by inadvertently doing that, we have those scrolls today. God plans all this out so that those scrolls would come forward 2,200 years and that we could see those, and we have those today. To me, that is one of the most amazing things. It's also interesting, Isaiah is being instructed to hide the scriptures to protect the very words of God. Isaiah's disciples are also hiding Isaiah's own words as well. And they were waiting to see if Isaiah's words would be fulfilled. In this way, it could be known if Isaiah is a true prophet. Deuteronomy 18.21-22 Deuteronomy 18.21-22 And if you say in your heart, how we may, know, we may know that the word of the Lord has not spoken, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. There's another passage in Jeremiah, and this is actually a really incredible one to me. I, I, I thought of this immediately as soon as I read that verse. Jeremiah 28, Jeremiah 28, 9 to 17. Jeremiah 28, 9 to 17. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, 
When the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him even the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. This is a very serious charge. And it is only in looking back that you can see if a prophet's words actually come true and whether those words were from the Lord or not. This is a bit of street theater, actually, that Hananiah is engaging in by breaking the, the yoke bar off of the, the prophet Jeremiah's neck. Jeremiah is trying to make a point, bringing this message from God. And Hananiah does the wrong thing by doing this, and God punishes him for it. Isaiah 8, verses 17 and 18. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts, who dwells upon Mount Zion. Isaiah waits upon God, watching and listening, looking for a sign from God. God is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, which is to say the Hebrew people. And when I say Hebrew people, those are the full 12 tribes of Israel, the ones who are supposed to be the people of God. This is what they think. They think they are doing the right thing. They think that they are the protected ones of God. But they've missed the message. They've missed what God has been trying to tell them. The people of God, and Isaiah and his, people, his disciples, the children whom the Lord has given me, are the signs and the evidence of the living God of the universe, who shows himself in Solomon's temple on the summit of Mount Moriah. Isaiah 25, 9. Isaiah 25, 9. 
It will be said on this day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Another verse, Isaiah 30, 18. Isaiah 30, 18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. And then the notes in my study Bible quote one of my favorite verses. And I saw that and it was like, I know what this verse is. Isaiah 40, 31. Isaiah 40, 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And also Isaiah 64, 4. Isaiah 64, 4. From of old no one has heard or perceived by ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. This is less than half of the verses that were referenced about this particular passage. You've just gotten like a smattering of the ones. It's a long list. Verse 19. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Mediums and necromancers are expressly prohibited under God's law. Leviticus 19.31. Leviticus 19.31. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out. And so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Necromancers, the name literally says it. They are the lovers of death. Chirps and mutters is a common belief that the dead speak quietly, as though in whispers. Isaiah regards them as contemptible. God's people are told to look to God for their hope. Psalm 121, 1 and 2. Psalm 121, 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Remember last week when we talked about quick to the plunder? All of a sudden that little comment makes sense to me because verse 20, verse 20, to the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Isaiah cries out, to the teaching and the testimony, Looking to God's word for instruction is what Isaiah is telling his disciples and those who follow after God. Isaiah 2.5, we read this earlier. Isaiah 2.5, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The comment in verse 20 about they have no dawn shows they do not have the light of the Lord within them. They are lost because they have forsaken God. And the passage closes, verses 21 and 22. 
They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. The lost will pass through the land, but to me this passage means a lot more than just they will pass through the land. It means they will pass through life, distressed, always crying for more. There is never enough. And they shall have no regard for authority or for difficulty. They shall be angry and they shall shout against those who are in authority over them. They have no regard for the blessings that flow down from God, that flow down from God every day. They have no regard for that. There is no gratitude in them. There is no thanksgiving. All they will see for their whole lives is darkness and anguish. And verse 22 closes this passage. Remember that whenever Isaiah closes a difficult passage like this, what happens next? There is always a message of great hope that follows. Emmanuel will come for the remnant, for his people. God is keeping a remnant for himself. And we close again, waiting on God for an image of inspiration and hope. Isaiah does not leave us waiting for long. The passage that follows this, chapter 9, is one of the most powerful and strong statements of hope and light and truth. It occurred to me, because I, I couldn't stop, I kept reading through chapter 9, because you know, I got so excited about what it was trying to say. And all of a sudden it occurs to me, chapter 8 actually closes the Old Testament. Chapter 9, I'm thinking that from chapter 9 all the way through the Gospels, this is all about Jesus. That, that the Old Testament right here makes this leap into the New Testament at this point. So we have the darkness of the lost, a dark and gloomy picture. Yet God gives Isaiah an image of his glory. God gives Isaiah the message to go back and protect the testimony and tell the people of God that it's going to be tough, that life here will be difficult, but there is eternity of, with God in the end. We know that God promises to save his people. Redemption is bought and paid for, paid for those who live under Emmanuel. You can see that this lesson is pointing at us, actually that Isaiah is reaching out of these pages, pointing us back to Jesus. We are the ones that are unworthy of God. We know we're unworthy. This is an image of us. We can turn our backs on God and walk away, or we can follow along with Isaiah, helping to carry their testimony and protect the words of God, carrying them not only in our arms, but also in our hearts. And Jesus is there calling us, come back, come back. Jesus had to pay for our rebellion against God, our sin, our unfaithfulness. Jesus takes our guilt away, and our sin is atoned for 
by Jesus' death on the cross. We are unworthy of any kindness from God, but God, faithful and true, sends Jesus down to pay for our sins, to make us white as snow. It is God who saves us. It is Jesus who is our Redeemer. And Jesus pays the penalty which belongs solely to all of us. And Jesus takes it upon himself and himself alone. And because of that, we get to spend eternity with God the Father, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. Singing praise and honor and glory before them in the shining city on the hill. Isaiah is pointing us back to God. Isaiah is telling us the message, a message of hope. Isaiah is telling us to change the way we live in the world. Isaiah wants us to be more Christ-like. And the more Christ-like we become, that happens by looking to God. And the more we look towards Jesus, the more we become like him. God loves us. And that's just such a huge good thing. I fail daily, every day, every day. And I have to be on my knees asking God for redemption. Jesus has purchased our redemption. And if you have not believed in Jesus yet, and if you want this free gift of God, all you have to do is accept Jesus as your Savior. It is so easy. He is waiting there for you. Pray to Jesus and ask him to come into your heart. God's greatness will be there for all to see on the day of the Lord, and we will all witness his greatness and his splendor that day. And we will see the shining city on the hill coming down in the clouds on the top of the mountain of the Lord, the new Jerusalem, with no need of a temple because God dwells there. Indeed, we all wait for Jesus to come. Let's pray. <clears throat> Almighty God, Lord, you are amazing and incredible. You've kept your words that Isaiah wrote down and sheltered them down through all these years just for us to have your words today. Down through the ages, you've protected them to give them to us. Lord, we've been unfaithful, and yet you continue to hold us in the palm of your hand. Heavenly Father, hide your words in our hearts. Carve the words of your prophet Isaiah deep down inside of us. Give us the lessons we must learn only from you, and guide us in the ways of your will. Lord, we are so unfaithful, and you are so true. Your plan of redemption is so perfect. Lord Jesus, you died in our place to redeem us, to save even us. You are so amazing. We love you. We bless you and honor you. And we praise the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen.